Welcome to part three of the third episode. Today we'll dive deep into the story of co-host Miguel Aldrete and everything he's learned throughout his journey. And hopefully we can bring you some advice and some knowledge so you can take action on your dreams and goals today. Enjoy this episode of the 4AM Empire. I don't know if you want to jump into like kind of my journey and, yeah. and stuff like that, but for me it all started with like I said, grateful and being um, being grateful and everything. Um, my dad, every year for his birthday, does something where he can be grateful for another year of life. So instead of receiving gifts um, for his birthday, instead of, you know, throwing a party every year, his goal is to set up in a, a fundraising campaign to help someone in need. To be On grateful. his birthday? Or, or just just once a year in general? For his birthday. Okay, yeah. That's cool. So he did, well, I don't know when he started this, but when I was born, he had already started this. So every year for his birthday and for Christmas, we'd go and volunteer in Tijuana. And for those of you that are listening outside of, you know, our San Diego area, I personally live 15 minutes from the border. So we see everything um, and it's so close to home and it's such different worlds. Every time I cross, I go down to Mexico at least once a week, whether it's for volunteering, whether it's for eating food, whether it's for visiting family, I go down at least once a week. Um, and growing up, the biggest thing, well, just some examples of things that my dad did. Um, one year, like a priest that I think it was a priest that married him and my mom, um, like the church was really struggling. Yeah. So they needed to build like a new church. I don't know if it got burned down or something. I don't quite remember that was the year i was born um and he did a bike ride oh you're going way back way back way back <laughs> he did a bike ride from san francisco from the golden gate bridge yeah. to the border Damn. so they rode 100 miles a day um for seven days so did that and um and trained for that for he was on his birthday meeting with a friend um for dinner they came up with the idea and they trained for a full year, got sponsorships on the news and all that stuff, raised enough money to build the entire church with that one bike ride. Nice. Um, the next year, orphanages and stuff like that. So I always grew up at least once a year doing some big volunteering event. And the biggest thing that I saw was, again, that gratitude and my parents showing me that I'm seeing firsthand other kids my age. I'm three years old, four years old. Seeing kids who don't have parents, yeah, who don't have food to eat, who are sharing a bed, who, you know, are don't have shoes and all that stuff. I'm seeing my own peers, yeah, struggling, yeah. And then I come after volunteering. I come home to loving parents, to a warm bed, to air conditioning, to you know, food on the table whenever I'm hungry. So. Personally, and, and a lot of people, that's the mindset. Like, if they grow up having everything, they almost, like, sometimes it's, like, given that they're going to be entitled. And that's why my parents stress so much me volunteering and giving back because, and I talk about this in my TED Talk, that feeling of reciprocal service. Like, what I learned from those kids and the foundation that they built, mm -hmm. I don't even know their names. I don't know where they are. But I do recall those moments of handing a kid a gift on Christmas because they didn't know if they were going to have a toy under the tree, right? Right. Where me, I got so many gifts that I 
I didn't even know what to do with. Like, I didn't have space for it. So that whole mentality of giving back was a big thing. Now, I remember 2007. Every year we do something different. 2007, my dad um, went, and that year for the project, they were going to help a hospital in Mexico, right? And um, I remember we, we went, and... The kids, uh, we went to go visit the kids that were that had cancer. So um, they were receiving chemotherapy. And those kids were in a basement. They had, um, they were sitting in like torn up, like lazy boy, like um, chairs, uh, receiving their treatment. Um, a lot of them didn't have a family. And because it was such a low income hospital, a lot of them, you know, you, you a lot of times you see like, People that are going through these diseases, but they have their family next to them. Even that simple having your parents hold your hand through the whole process, they didn't have that. Because since they were so low income, um, well, we left that hospital. And as we were leaving, a mom was dropping off her kid to, to receive chemo, dropped them off and left. And as she was leaving, my dad was like, wait, 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 why are you leaving your kid? He's like four years old, about to go through this traumatic experience. And you're not even staying with him. And she said, I have eight kids. I'm a single mother. I either work and feed the other eight or and sacrifice the one that's not going to make it or stay with this one and sacrifice the other eight. That's crazy. So that right there, like that one moment, my dad was like, okay, forget different cause every year. We're going to change this because that one moment impacted me. And I was six, seven years old at the time and impacted my entire family. And my dad started a nonprofit called Legacy for Life. And his biggest thing was when he, when he dies, like you only get one life. What is the legacy that he's going to leave behind? And making life a little bit better for these kids was the legacy he wanted to leave behind. So we started that nonprofit. Within a year, um, he built a whole new floor for the hospital with, so the kids wouldn't receive it in the basement. They had their own floor. Um, he paid for all the chemotherapy for any kid that wanted treatment in that hospital because the parents couldn't pay for it. Yeah. Um, the it, Over the years now, um, the survival rate has gone up from 20% to like 85%. That's awesome. Um, and a, a lot of amazing things that are happening. We pay for the parents um, to stay there. So we provide housing for the parents and stuff like that. Um, but the biggest example that I, I saw that someone, my, my dad, he's an ordinary guy, yeah. was able to make such a big difference through just one idea, through one small action at the beginning right. of wanting to make a difference. Um, so for me, you know, he was really po- passionate about that cause and I still support that cause as well. But for me, uh, I was always into animals. Um, I loved going to the zoo. I love watching Animal Planet. Uh, Steve Irwin and um, Crocodile Hunter. And <laughs> he was like my hero. Um, so I was around around that time that my dad started his nonprofit. And I was seeing the process of an idea getting turned into an organization. Around that time, I, um, I learned about deforestation. So basically, for those of you that don't know, people are cutting down trees in the rainforest. And mm-hmm. in return a lot of animals are becoming extinct uh, because of it. So I said, well, I remember my dad was about to host his first fundraising event and he like created a little video to ask for sponsorships and he sat me down on his lap and we watched the video and he said, so are you going to help me on this cause? 
And I remember telling him, yes, but here's the deal. If I help you, you have to help me stop deforestation. And I was eight years old at the time. So my mom and him were like, the heck is he talking about? So I started to explain like, you know, this is going on. This is a cause I'm passionate about. I know you're passionate about that cause, but, and I, since I saw someone so close to me build a nonprofit, building a nonprofit was nothing impossible for me, yeah. you know? So I was like, help me set up my nonprofit, help me raise money, blah, blah, blah. And, um, at the time, the only way I knew how to make money was recycling. Um, so the first thing I did was take out all the recyclables that weekend. We went and I think I got like 20 bucks for it. And I donated that money to an organization that plants trees. So that was like the first initial thing. Um, from there, I did that for a few months and my grandparents and uncles and aunts started seeing what I was doing. So they started saving their recyclables. Um, and once a week we'd go around and pick up all the recyclables, um, in the back of my dad's truck. And we'd take that. So at that point I was doing like, I don't know, a hundred bucks a month for the nonprofit, which in the grand scheme of things, thousand dollars a year. But for me, that was yeah. huge, huge. How old were you at this point? Um, I was around eight, nine, ten. I did that for between eight and ten. That was all we did. It was just recycle cans and bottles every single weekend, every Saturday morning, host garage sales, stuff like that. And one of the biggest things, actually, that um, my dad did the first time I ever made a dollar, he created, he got three so, uh, one liter bottles of soda. Yeah. And he put a little slit on them, like if it was a piggy bank. And he made me decorate all three bottles. The first one, I had to decorate with things that were fun. Second one was education. Third one was helping others. So I cut out um, pictures of like a remote control car and stuff like that and glued it onto the first bottle. The second bottle, I cut out pictures of, you know, pencils and rulers and notebooks and put that on the second bottle. And the third one, I couldn't find a picture of helping others. So... The only picture I had was of a lady that was like cleaning. And um, I came with all three bottles and I put them on my dad's desk and I was like, so here they're done. And he was like, okay, this one was completely filled. This one was semi-filled. And then this one had one picture. Mm-hmm. He was like, what does this have to do with helping others? And I was like, well, she's cleaning. She looks like she needs like a lot of help. So that was like the only thing. I, I don't know why I remember that, but the lesson there was... From that point on, and that was that was the first day I ever made a single dollar. And the lesson that my dad was trying to teach me was, if you invest in yourself and you give back to others, there will always be enough money left over to, to have fun and enjoy your life. So prioritize investing in yourself, prioritize giving back, and at the end of the day, you're going to reap the rewards. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons that completely shaped my life, right? Um, eventually those bottles turned into three bank accounts. Um, so every uh, dollar I ever made divided by three and put it into all three bank accounts. Um, until, you know, until the nonprofit started taking off and that bank account grew a lot more than, than anything else. Um, so around that time, uh, like I said, going to Mexico a lot, parents only spoke Spanish. Well, no, they speak Spanish and English, but they only spoke Spanish to me. Um, so in turn, when I started school, uh, English was really, really hard for me, especially that like subject. Yeah. Because writing in English, speaking English, reading in English, it was like a challenge. And the biggest thing, I mean, my parents, 
I thank him now for it, but in the moment, like, why wouldn't you teach me English? That was going through my head. Like, I know you know it. I've heard you say it and talk in it in that language, but you'd never taught me it. Um, but their idea was, you know, we'll teach him Spanish. He lives in the U.S. He'll learn English on his own. Yeah. Um, and I think that was that was really, really good, and I see it now. Um, because I see a lot of my Latin American friends that don't speak Spanish because right. their parents had the other mindset. Yeah. Um, and they struggle with that. Um, and I think it's a lot easier because I'm surrounded by people who speak English. So every day I practice it. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Uh, it was the same thing here. I learned Spanish first. And um, I mean, even now, like, since I don't speak Spanish too often, sometimes I forget things. You I'm know? still not so, allowed to speak English at home. Really? Yeah, no, I'm not allowed to. Um, so... Before it used to, like, our punishment for speaking English at home would be listening to, like, um, like really old, like, Mexican songs on the car. <laughs> like, they'd have the CDs of, like, old songs, and we'd have to listen to that the whole car ride instead of what we wanted to listen to, which Bluetooth wasn't available back then, but we had our, like, little, um, you guys are OGs if you know, like, the little, you remember that book yep. that you'd, like, put CDs in? Yeah. <laughs> those are the best oh, folder yeah folder exactly CDs. exactly so um so i'm about 9 10 i start my nonprofit. uh people start seeing what i'm doing and i'm not only receiving money through recycling now i'm receiving money through donations as well um and then when i was 10 years old um i decided to write a book right actually the reason i wrote a book is because i sucked so bad at english my parents made me write 15 minutes a day and would put a timer of write whatever you want, right? So in school, it would be an assignment, which was kind of boring. But in um, at, home. at home, I could write about whatever I wanted. Just yeah. let my creativity run free. So I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more. And I created, I don't know how, a character called Matt Hankers. That was my character. So every adventure that I ever like dreamt of doing, I'd make the character do that. Like... Oh, I want to go scuba diving, I'd make the character do that. Oh, I want to visit this place, I'd make the character go there. So it was like putting myself in that dream yeah. scenario. Um, so I'd write really short stories. They were like a paragraph. The whole story, the whole plot was a paragraph. Um, and eventually, like, uh, my dad would share with his coworkers, like, share the stories. And people started asking, like, we'd end up sending, like, an email blast at the end of every week when I'd finish a story and send it to all his coworkers and... Every time I'd go into his office, they'd all be like, oh, I loved your last story and this and that. That was a lot of like self-esteem building. Um, and eventually one of my stories, like instead of writing a different story every time, one of them, um, I started writing about it and I got so into it. Like every 15 minutes would go into that one story instead of several different ones. Um, and that, it, I don't know how I got the idea. I wanted to write a book. And at that time we were just going to take it print it out at an office depot and staple it together and put it away, right? Um, but I remember one night, um, like I finished, my dad had seen how hard I worked. So he started Google searching how to actually publish a book. Um, I woke up I don't, the next morning and he was like, hey, I spent all night. I know you've worked hard on this. Um, this is the process if you want to actually publish it. And I was like, oh, heck yeah. So he sent it to a couple publishers. One loved the idea more because... The story is pretty bad. I'm going to be honest. My first book is kind of bad. But <laughs> I haven't read your first book. Don't read it. <laughs> but um, but the, they loved the idea that a 10-year-old wanted to write a book. Right. And they saw, I mean, they wanted to make money. So they saw selling my story 
would would sell a lot of copies instead of selling the you know, actual book, the itself. actual like yeah. contents of the book. So that came out, uh, and the book came out on Amazon, which was kind of a new idea. Amazon was still in its bookstore stages back right. then, two thousand ten, and um, it came out there. So having my book on Amazon was one of the coolest things. And I remember receiving like my check after selling a couple books, and it was like six dollars. And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like six dollars, what the heck? And I started seeing like I had sold six copies, so I was making a dollar per book, and the book sold for like twelve bucks. I was like, "Where's the rest of the money going?" And it was all going to like the publisher, the printing, the this and that. Um, but at the time, I didn't really need the money. I just, I just like was confused. So I was like, "Okay, I figured making a dollar and change per book, dollar and ten cents, fifteen cents." Um, and I was running my nonprofit and I was like, well, I could sell the books and use that as money for my nonprofit, but at the same time, kind of connect my two passions, if that made sense. Um, so I started doing that, wrote my second book when I was 12. And after the second book, cause that book was way better. Um, I started speaking at schools and selling a ton of copies and that pretty much funded my nonprofit at that point. Um, and I ran that. I mean, we did traveled around the world planting trees and um, doing that. And it all started with a simple idea of an eight-year-old wanting to make a difference. And I think one of the biggest things that's impacted my life and what I do today, the Change the World Movement, my third book that just got published, I'll pay for sponsorship for that, um, <laughs> called Change the World, uh, this podcast, real estate and becoming a realtor at 18 and all of that was the phrase, I don't know if you've heard it, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Like, I never thought I couldn't do it. Like, why could someone else write a book and I can't? Yeah. Why could someone else get their real estate license at 30 and I'm 18, but what? Like, is there a requirement that you have to be 30? Right. Or is it just that it's not the expectation? Yeah. Right? What says that I have to be a certain age to start a nonprofit? There's no written rules on right. that. So... If there's no written rules on how old I have to be to do something, I don't see why someone else can do it and I can't. And um, I think that ignorance of being so oblivious to what it actually takes was one of the best things that could have worked in my favor is the fact that no one ever told me, like, no, you can't do that. I got it from peers, but at the same time, like you said, like, Hearing it from a peer, I don't really care. Yeah. Hearing it from a parent, that would have definitely turned me off. Like, hearing, no, like, why, you're crazy, why would you write a book, you're only 10 years old? That, I think that would have killed my dream, and I think one of the biggest things I'm grateful for is my parents never said no. Like, you want to start a non-profit, start it. You want to write a book, do it. And even though they had never written a book, even though they had just started a nonprofit, even though they'd never gotten their real estate license, just their approval was all I needed to take off, nice. right? And even though none of us knew how to do it, I could figure it out. Google's out there. You can research whatever you want to do. Um, but at this point, if you have family that's telling you that you can't, here's me, an editor telling you, you can, right? 100%. Like... Hearing it from a third person right now, I'm telling you, if you have, I mean, like Emmanuel was saying, like sometimes your family is like your biggest haters and that's who, the people you want to impress the most and be proud of you. 
But at the same time, there's if there's no written law that you have to be a certain age to do something, go for it right now. Like if you wanted to start that business, do it right now. If you wanted to write that book, do it right now. If you want to start a podcast, do it right now. Whatever you want to do, do it right now because, you know, you never know where it's going to go. One idea that you have right now can blow up to something you never imagined possible. And with the exposure and the technology and social media and YouTube and everything that we have right now, there's no better time to start and follow your passion than yesterday (laughs) yeah and i mean if you're not like in what you think is like the best position to start that thing you can start small so you know i i don't know your situation yeah exactly one recycled can (laughs) but like for some people you know maybe maybe they have like a family to support and they can't quit their job and just go do whatever they want right like there's gonna be practical things where you know, if you work a nine to five or you go to school full time and then you still have to work part time, whatever it may be, start small, start one hour a day, two hours a day, whatever you can do. Like I was um, writing 15 minutes a day. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's like me. I, I accumulated so much information over the span of three years doing it several hours a day, right? It's not like I, I just like nonstop absorbed information for three or four years. It was after work, after gym, after all the main things I was taking care of. So, uh, but it adds up, you know, three, four, five hours a day over the span of several years, I absorbed so much information that when I was finally in in the position to use it and to go after what I wanted to do, everything, like if I ever had a question, I didn't have to ask anyone. Like I had already kind of learned it from someone or, or from somewhere to where, I was like, oh, what should I do in this situation? Wait, I know. I've like, I've seen or I've heard of this before. And then I would have the answer and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing is, and that comes back to like time, like um, time being the most valuable asset we have. Yeah. Because like I said, 10 minutes, can you find 10 minutes today to work on your goals? That's, that's, I'm going to leave that as a challenge for everyone listening. Man. It sounds so simple, but a lot of people... Five minutes. <laughs> a lot of people do not take 10 minutes to themselves a day. Like, put a timer and only work 10 minutes. Because what, what you're going to find is if, you, if it's really what you want to do, a week from now, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, the timer's going to go off and you're going to be like, what, already? Right. Like the, the, When I started writing 15 minutes a day... And it was almost like a chore. I hated it. Right? But after a while, I started writing and the 15-minute timer would go off. And I'd, like, ignore it. Like, turn off the timer and keep going. Yeah. And if it's really something you want to do, you're going to find that five minutes a day. Absolutely. I don't care what situation you're in. I know you have five minutes in a day. Yeah. Right? And if you can dedicate five minutes to what you think your goals are... One of two things is going to happen. One, you're going to realize, I love this, and you're going to dedicate more than five minutes, and it's going to grow into something you never imagined possible because your heart is in it. Or two, you're going to realize you hate it, and you saved yourself the years of, of desiring about it, of thinking about yeah. it, and not going after that. And 100%. if you end up hating it, then you can dedicate those five minutes to a new hobby that you have or a new passion, or a new business, or a new dream, or a new goal. Yep. So, I think 
if we can take one thing away from this is with five minutes a day, what can you do? Because the small actions do truly make a big difference. 100%. I couldn't have said it better myself. But um, yeah, is there anything else you want to tell us about where you're at now before we wrap this up? Um, I mean, my goals for the future, and I, I'm the only reason I'm saying this is because I want to look back at this podcast 10 years from now and, and see where we're at. Um, Revenue-wise, because like you said, results... Uh, we like to see results, and that's really the numbers um, is what the only thing we can compare. Um, I want to be hitting the, the million-dollar mark in five years. Impact-wise, um, my goal, my one goal in life is to plant a million trees. Cool. We're at 16,000 right now um, because that is a cause I'm still passionate about. And inspiring-wise, I hope... In the next year, I can speak to 10,000 students. Um, and out of those 10,000, if it changes one of your guys' life, that is all that matters. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, goals goals for me. Year. <laughs> five. Let's do five years. I'd say I'll probably still be running, or maybe not running, but... I'll, I'll probably still be owning AOD renovations. Um, I, I enjoy this business, so um, yeah, I'll probably still be around. But five years, I'm hoping I have a fully set up car business, you know, doing something that I really enjoy, obviously working, not necessarily the whole mechanic thing, but something about, you know, performance vehicles, yeah. um, whatever it is that I get into with that. There's probably that at that point. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be married by then. Um, definitely no plans on having kids yet. <laughs> um, but business related, I'd say definitely AOD, um, a car business. I I don't know. There's there's so many things, but those are the, the two main ones. Um, as far as like numbers wise, I don't have a necessarily, uh, there's, there's really no number I would like to hit. Um, obviously everyone kind of shoots for like the million mark. Right. But I, I mean, the first million is the hardest dude. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, here's the thing. Like, I don't even think I'm shooting for that just because I know it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's almost like, uh, I don't know. It it's might, it might be in two years. Yeah. It might be in two years. It might be in 20 years. I don't know. I just know it's going to happen. Like it, it, it's, it's just so clear and so there already yeah that uh i don't even think about that to be honest i don't think about the number itself um i just think about like the things that i will be able to do when i have you know money like that so you know things that i definitely want to do is um i i would like to travel more at some point and i want to visit all like my favorite fame uh all the famous racetracks around the world mm. so like especially like the nurburgring that's like the biggest track yeah. in the world in germany I want to go to like Sakuba in uh, in Japan. Um, there's a lot of great racetracks in the U.S. too that I haven't been to. So Watching a Formula One race in Monaco. Exactly. I need to go to the Grand Prix in, in Monaco for sure. <laughs> front row seats. Um, Dang front row. Yeah, it's gonna be pricey, but like I said, at I that wanna, point, I want to watch it from a yacht. That too. <laughs> there's that too. But no, definitely it's more the experiences and the things that I can do for others with that money rather than the money itself, right? If you just have millions of dollars sitting in the bank and you just stare at it, it's useless. Do you have a cause so. that 
or or that legacy that you want to leave behind? Yeah, so like I said, from now, what is well, when I mentioned earlier, who knows, I might become a pastor. I feel oh, like I feel like right now, uh, I'm more like in the preparing stages, but I would definitely like to spread the word of God at some point in my life and help other people the way that I've been helped by, you know, reading God's word. So, um, you know, obviously I read the Bible and like a lot of the things. Have you ever played Bible roulette? But no. No? No, I've never played that. Sometimes, well, because I didn't like reading the Bible back then. And um, there's this thing that uh, the youth leader at my church calls Bible roulette. So basically, like, if you have a question or you're going through a struggle, like, close your eyes and, like, flip through it and put your finger somewhere. And whatever that verse is, somehow try to relate that to an answer for for your question. Yeah, I mean, I literally see it as, like, a guidebook to life. Because there's, like... There's, there's almost, some really interesting stories, I'm going to be there, honest. There, like if they turned it into a movie, it would yeah. be like a crazy like drama. Bro. There, there's pretty much like, there's like an treason, answer for everything. There's, like, there's so many like crazy stories in there. And you know, it, there's a lot of practical advice too. Like for example, like business, uh, there's a lot of stories or really? verses that will specifically talk about money. Like a lot of them. And like one of the big ones is like, don't be in debt. You know, like one of the biggest issues in really? America. Is that the 11th commandment? No, but <laughs> it might as well be. <laughs> Don't be in debt. <laughs> yeah, literally. It, it's, you know, it's like uh, if you're in debt, it's like you're pretty much a slave to, you know, the Your credit card. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you can, you can see that nowadays, right? Like in America with credit, the way it is, a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck and literally... Especially, like, you can see it right now with the coronavirus going on. There's a lot of people that are going to lose a lot of stuff because they cannot afford it. Yes. Why? Because they get in debt. Yes. You know, you they buy an expensive car that they can't afford outright, um, which means, hey, you don't make the car payment, the bank's going to come for their car. You know what I mean? Or maybe an expensive house that they couldn't really afford. They might have to foreclose. Like, there's so many bad things that happen because people put themselves in um unfortunate situations with money yeah so i think i think money's super important you got to be smart with it um be good with it and use it for good you know but uh yeah if i could leave anyone listening with anything let's say like a practical advice what can they do a practical advice or tomorrow i would say if you have if you have something you want to do uh for work related or a business, definitely you have to save money. That's super practical, which I think a lot of people don't do is save money because, um, a lot of people, like I said, they live paycheck to paycheck and saving money is literally, it puts you in a position where you can do things that you normally wouldn't naturally do. For example, if you have money saved up, you're more likely to quit that job you hate. Yeah. Because you don't need the money. Right. Right. So you save money, you can quit the job, and then you can go try whatever it is that you want. That well, goes down that goes back to like how how do you save money? I think part of it is is especially let's just say a high school student, right? They're seeing and and today it's tough with social media and everything, but can you buy 
less things that really don't matter to you. Because a lot of times you buy things because it matters to what other, other people, people yeah. think about you. You're buying it to impress other people, basically. Yeah. Can you think about the last 10 purchases that you made and how many of them you made them because it truly makes you happy? And how many of them have you made because of what other people are going to think about you? Did that sneaker that you bought, did that chain that you bought, did that yeah. t-shirt or that brand name yeah. or that thing? Because sometimes they do make you happy. Well, and, here's a, and that's not a bad thing. Right, but here's, but here's where people get mixed up though. I like to see it like, would you buy that if you were the only person on the planet? Mm. That's the way I see it because I ask myself... Would I have bought my car if I was the only person on the planet? A hundred percent. Yeah. Because I enjoy driving it. Right. I don't drive it for people to be like, yo, you got a cool car. Right? I don't care about that. I enjoy driving it. I like how it feels. I like going fast. I like how it looks. I like everything about it. Mm -hmm. If I was the only person on the planet, I would still buy that. Yeah. Right? Would you still be wearing the type of clothes that you like to wear if you're the only person on the planet? I will wear whatever I'm comfortable. Um, if it's work related, then I got to look, you know, professional to an extent. Um, but it's never ever for approval of another person. Right. Correct. So I like, I like to see it that way because a lot of people will, it's easy to say, Oh yeah, I bought it for me. But in reality they bought it because someone else makes them feel good about that thing. Right. So like, for example, if I buy a cool car, all of a sudden I'm accepted by a group of people, it might make me feel like, yeah, I, I definitely bought this car for me because now I made a lot of cool friends, right? Like if you're going to make friends, they're going to be your friends because of you, not because of the car or yeah. whatever it is that you buy. Yeah. And I think, so. I mean, you can justify anything, right? But think deep down in your heart, in your soul. And, and that goes with, with everything is, do what makes you happy, not what's going to make other people proud or I don't know. I don't know how to put it, but, but you know, it, and make sure you do good things too, because you know, that whole thing gets twisted a lot, right? Like do what makes you happy, but then people go out on a rampage of destruction, you know, <laughs> like literally hundred yeah, percent, like you have to also be aware. So this is the way I like to see it. Be aware of other people's, uh, you know, of don't do anything that's going to disrupt another person or hurt someone else just because it's going to make you happy. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. anything I do should not impact you in a negative way. Right. Right. That is fine. Like if I'm doing it because I like it, but, and it doesn't impact you, I'm going to do it. But if I'm doing something and it's hurting you, right, that's not a good thing. Like I shouldn't be wanting to do that. So I think a lot of people, it's very easy to mix these things Everything up. Everything we've said can be twisted. Yeah, in the it, it can easily be twisted. So just, <laughs> if you know you're in a right mindset, then you just keep going. Do that right thing. Um, if you know you're not in a right mindset, you know, you know. We, we know if we're not thinking straight. Yeah. So we, first thing is acknowledging that, trying to change that, and then moving forward. So I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, this is probably going to be two episodes uh, because we talked a lot about Edgar's story. talked about a lot about my story, the values, the lessons that we've learned, um, things like that. But at the end of the day, um, I think key takeaways, so we don't have to do a four-minute game plan for this one, 
is actionable steps because that's what I like is yeah. is is what applies. For me personally, whatever you want to do, dedicate five minutes a day and set a timer because you're going to learn one of two things. You're either going to love it and it's going to turn into 10, 15 minutes, an hour a day, or you're going to hate it and you're going to... that Finding out that you didn't like it is going to give you the opportunity to find what you truly love to do with just five minutes a day. So start with five minutes. For me, I'd say set... You can do 5 to 10%. Let's say start small. 5% of whatever income you're making, save it. It sounds, oh, it sounds like everyone right now that listened to that, they're like, I got that. I guarantee you it's a lot harder than most people think just saving 5% if it's something that they're not consistently already doing, yeah. right? For me, it comes natural. Like I don't, I don't even think about it. I pay my necessities. Boom, save it. I'm telling you, save 5% off to the side. Once you get used to 5%, bump it up to 10% and just don't touch that money. There's going to be a time where you want to do something and that money's going to be ready to do that thing that you truly want to do. So I'd say just set 5% aside. You can find a way, you know, don't go out to eat. Don't go out to watch that one movie, whatever it takes. Like you can set 5% aside. So save a little bit of money and uh, use it for when you truly need it. Thank you guys for listening to whoever listened to the whole thing. Um, we appreciate it. And uh, make sure to, I guess, follow us on all our social medias. Uh, watch the YouTube. Um, if you're listening, you can see, you know, kind of our expressions as I reacted to some of the crazy things that Edgar said. <laughs> um, but, but again, uh, we appreciate all you guys' support. And if we can inspire you guys to take action and if we can help you guys in any way, Please send us a message, ask the questions, and we'd be happy to help uh, as much as we can. Thank you. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this three-part series. Stay tuned next week when we bring back the next guest. If you haven't yet, we'd really appreciate if you gave us a follow, subscribed, and leave a comment below on what you would like to see next on the 4AM Empire.